Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Coming up on You Need Therapy. I have this this lovely um, client that I've worked with off and on for a long, long time. And he asked me to kind of review the growth charts of his children. But he's like, listen, I grew up in a larger body and nobody let me forget it my whole life. And he's like, I don't ever want them to feel the way I feel. I started to realize that not being an expert isn't a liability, it's a real gift. If we don't know something about ourselves at this point in our life, it's probably because it's uncomfortable to know. If you can die before you die, then you can really live. There's a wisdom at death's door. I thought I was insane, yeah. And I didn't know what to do because there was no internet. Oh man, I'm like, I feel like everything is hard. Hey y'all, my name is Kat. I'm a human first and a licensed therapist second. And right now, I'm inviting you into conversations that I hope encourage you to become more curious and less judgmental about yourself, others, and the world around you. Welcome to You Need Therapy. Hi guys, and welcome to a new episode of You Need Therapy Podcast. My name is Kat. I am the host. And quick reminder before we get into today's episode that although this podcast is called You Need Therapy, I am a licensed therapist. This podcast does not serve as a replacement or substitute for any actual mental health services. We do, however, always, always, always hope that it can be a tool and it can help and guide you along whatever road you are on in the moment. Now, today I'm super pumped to share with you our conversation or the conversation I had with a amazing, wonderful, brilliant, gentle, I could go on human named Leslie Schilling. 
And I don't remember if I talked about this in our conversation, in our interview, but I was introduced to her by a colleague because they were talking about her new book that she came out with called Feed Yourself, which is a book about how diet culture shows up in the safe places, including places of worship, faith, and all of that, and how to kind of untie ourselves from that. And I immediately thought to myself, I've got to get my hands on this book. I have to read this book. This is going to be so helpful for not only myself, but clients. And then I got an email from Leslie's team asking if she wanted to be on the podcast. And I immediately responded, oh my gosh, I was just on the website trying to order this book. Yes, I would love to have a conversation with Leslie. And that is what you guys are getting today. Leslie is a master's level registered dietitian, and she specializes in disordered eating, sports nutrition, family nutrition, and weight concerns. And like I said, she recently came out with a new book titled Feed Yourself, where she's sharing her expertise with the masses and guiding readers, everyone who reads this book, as they uncover all of the lies that we've been told about our bodies throughout our lifespan. She's also the owner of Shilling Nutrition, and this is a private nutrition therapy and wellness coaching business that you can go to her website. I will put that in the link in the show notes here. I'll put the link there. She is a regular writer for US News, and she has been featured in Women's Health, Self, BuzzFeed, and so much more. She is a wealth of knowledge, and I thoroughly enjoyed talking to her because she's just one of those people who gets it more than most. And it was refreshing. It was a reminder of the truth that is sometimes hard for me to hold on to, even as a professional in this space. And I really think you're going to like her, what she has to say and the way she says it. I'm going to link her Instagram so you can follow her. I'm going to link where you can get the book, Feed Yourself as well. And she also talks about where you can find those things in our conversation as well. But I just want you guys to hear this conversation. So I'm going to stop talking. And without any more waiting, here is my enlightening conversation with Leslie Schilling. All right, guys, welcome back to another new episode of Unit Therapy. I am super excited today because we have somebody here talking with us that I was actually planning on ordering this book before I even got the email about talking to you for the podcast. The book is about something that really I I wish we were talking about more or was a more normalized realization in our world. Um, But we have Leslie Schilling here who is coming out with a new book called Feed Yourself. And I would like you to tell us a little bit about your background, because you have an interesting story as a dietitian of the transformation. So I want to hear what got you into being a dietitian, and then what happened that encouraged you to write a book like this. So I live in Las Vegas now. And the draw is North Carolina. I grew up in North Carolina, lived in Memphis for 15 years. So I'm a Southern gal living in the desert now. Love the West. You know, I grew up like my grandmother. And if you've, if you've read the book, you know, Nanny, I talk about was really this amazing, amazing woman who was just really stuck and wanting to change her body her whole life. And my mom and my sister and I all heard about that growing up. I mean, we were very loved. She's an amazing person and she struggled her whole life with wanting to be something that her body was never meant to be. So that's a little bit about the background growing up. And I was a gymnast 
gymnast. So it was competitive gymnast, which is a sport rife with disordered eating and body image concerns and some really unfortunate coaching practices. And so I'm, I'm coming up in this, and I'm also in the South where I don't know how you, you grew up, but like where I grew up in the South, like appearance was a big deal, <laughs> you know, how you look, like, don't make your mama look bad, that kind of stuff, you know? And so all of that's carrying with me. And then I graduate high school. I go to college and realize like, wow, you can study nutrition. Like I was like pre-med and forensics before CSI was a show. Like I really wanted to like be that crime scene investigator person. Like if I could go back and do both, that would be cool, but I can't. (laughs) That'd be so cool. Um, My sister had a roommate who was in the nutrition program where I went to school and there was a nutrition book in my sister's dorm room. And so kind of the rest is history. I kind of switched gears haven't been a gymnast. It was super interesting to me to see how fueling the body and all the things and the science behind it. And I got trained, you know, I have a master's degree and undergrad in nutrition, did a lot of exercise science and sport nutrition in my master's degree, learned a whole lot about diet culture, <laughs> meaning like not, Hey, be aware of this, but it's actually part of how we learn very weight centric training. Anybody who's in the field in health and medicine gets a lot of weight centric training. And over the years, I've um, had to do a lot of unlearning to not, you know, perpetuate harms and the clients and the patients and athletes that I support. And that kind of, you know, trickled to as my eyes were becoming more able to see diet culture and even how I had perpetuated it in my own practice, I started to see it in the safe places like, wow, it's in schools, it's in health lessons, it's in conversations, you know, as we're having lunch with a friend, it is in the doctor's office with the obligatory weight check. As soon as you walk in, it's everywhere. And it's even in what we consider or what we would hope to be the safest of the places, which would be places of worship when we have diet plans wrapped in a Bible verse or believers weighing in together. And, you know, I think it's really become dangerous. And that really planted this seed in my heart probably a decade ago. I joke like this is the book I've been writing in my heart for a decade. And now it's, it's real. It's out in the world. And it's because diet culture, which is a system of beliefs that leads us to think that thinness leads to health and worthiness. Diet culture is in all the safe places. And it was really time for me to speak up about it because nobody was talking about it. Nobody was saying, wait a minute, that sermon is really harmful. I think you meant well, but this caused harm. That's important what you just said. I think you, you meant well, but this is causing harm. Because so much of what you wrote in your book, I resonated with, especially when you were talking about it being taught in schools. And I don't think any teacher I ever had meant to hurt me. I don't think anything that my parents may have said or any meant to hurt me. And because everybody is afraid of making somebody else uncomfortable because, oh, well, they didn't mean it. So I'm just going to let it go. Well, then they don't know that what they're saying is actually not very kind and not very helpful. Yeah. And plant seeds of doubt, like that plants seeds of doubt in your soul. And as an eating disorder specialist and, and dietitian, I've been pulling those weeds with clients sitting across 
the room for me for 20 years. And that's the thing, like we can mean well and still cause harm and coaches and parents and Sunday school teachers and pastors and doctors have no doubt meant well. And at the same time, I'm sitting across from a person who that seed got planted 15 years ago and we are still trying to heal them, heal that person from the wound that was, I meant well. Yeah. Have you had any pushback from people, whether it's somebody in the church, whether it's a doctor, whether it's another dietitian, have you had any pushback from any of those people have, as you've started to speak up? Yeah. There's always someone who's like, you know, oh, well, you're just letting people or telling people that they can eat anything and like living in a large body is fine. And I'm like, well, you know, you can eat anything outside of a medical food allergy. (laughs) And, you know, I have to explain to people the things that I didn't learn in school. I was, I would have been that person 20 years ago. So yes, I do get pushback from dietitians. And I also call dietitians out, you know, somebody was kind of arguing with me on social about, but what about this? But what about this? And I was like, we are responsible as professionals to help people understand our language. Cause she was really trying to like talk about someone who has maybe a medical allergy or something like that. I'm like, we have to be very careful about our language because I'm talking about diets and dieting and diet culture. We often think that things that are medically nutritionally necessary for some people say a medical food allergy, like a peanut allergy, we've really kind of let those lines be crossed. And so, yeah, I get, I get pushback. I've had doctors say your dietitian's an idiot. Like I've, yeah. I mean, I, and I'm like, okay, well, I am happy to send your cardiologist or whoever the information, which is a randomized controlled trial that is peer reviewed and it's the highest quality research we have. So I'm, I'm prepared to back things up. And I feel like I really tried hard to do that in the book because I am saying things that are super countercultural and I am saying things that my, a doctor or a dietitian or your grandmother or somebody might disagree with. And yes, because I was there, I was on the other side. I was the person who was like, Oh, well, you just have to do that. But that was before I realized how complex health and wellness and everything really is. And, and what you eat and how you move your body is important, but it is not as important as what we've made it out to be. We've, we've forgotten like the social determinants of health, like people don't even learn like the social determinant determinants of health in, in some of our medical and nutrition programs. And that's so, such a big factor of health, but we just talk about food. Yeah. Your book, as I was reading it, there's like two parts of me. It was like the part now that when I went into school to become a therapist, I wanted to be an eating disorder therapist. Meanwhile, I was in an active eating disorder, but I wanted to, what I wanted to do is work with binge eating disorder and I wanted to help people lose weight. Like that's the frame of mind I had. And then very quickly, it was very helpful that I had so much information coming at me that kind of shifted that really quickly that helped me before I could do too much harm. But I was reading this as, as kind of two people, the person before that, that would be like, what? No, this she's missing this whole point, like all the point, like, what about this? What about that? And this does mean that. And you just the things you said, like, you just want anybody to do whatever they want. And you just want to make people happy. And then the other part that was like, 
now the things that you're talking about, I'm like, duh, yes, of course. <laughs> Why is this so hard for people to understand? But yeah. it is because it is so, the things that you're saying are so opposite of our popular culture's belief system yeah. because nobody's challenged them. But to right. the people that have sat in the challenge seat, it feels like, oh, why can't you understand it? Yeah. And, you know, I'll be talking to dietitians and like completely, it's, it's we're completely on two different sides of the, the paradigm here. Like some are very weight focused and then some are very weight neutral and understand that weight is not a behavior and we're not going to chase a number on a scale. If you want to engage in health promoting behaviors, yay, that's fine. That's what we want to help people do. But, I, and I will say, I'm like, no one in 20 plus years of practice has ever written me a thank you note for putting them on a diet. Never. And so I always bring that to the conversation. I said, but let me tell you, I have a folder in my inbox and physically in my filing cabinet that are letters and cards and just little notes from people saying, thank you for helping me see diet culture. Thank you for helping me be more assertive at the doctor's office to get health care, not weight care. And I think that's part of the thing that people don't see when we haven't, like, it took me probably three to five years to kind of be in this state of cognitive dissonance where I'm like, oh, but I paid so much for my degree on this. And now I have to, you know, now I'm switching over to this, but it, it took me a while to switch gears. And, and what I really learned is, is like by listening to the lived experience who have of people who have been harmed in diet culture, I couldn't do it anymore. And so I do share that with other professionals. I'm like, no one has ever written me a thank you note for putting them on a diet but helping people find health that aligns with their values, their abilities, their benefits in this life. It's hard because I'm standing up to a lot of <laughs> people who I, I advocate for my clients when they run into professionals that, that maybe don't believe the same or haven't read the evidence that I have yet. And so it's, it's hard work, but it's, gosh, once you see diet culture, or you help somebody see diet culture, they cannot unsee it. Unsee it. Yes it'll drive you crazy. So yeah. what I want to do today is I'm, I picked some, some things that really stood out to me. And I just want to read some quotes from your actual book and just have you elaborate a little bit on them. I have 10. I don't know that we'll, depending on where my brain goes, we, I don't know if we'll get through all of them, but I want to start because the thing that I love about your book is that it talks directly about how diet culture is in the church and how that can be helpful. I want to start with this and it's uh, it's more of a simple one, but for, this is one of those things that I'm like, this is simple, but for some people they might be like, no. So I'm going to start with this one. You said, hey guys, Kat here, and I have something very important to talk to you guys about. Now, I know you're used to hearing me talk about therapy and how important it can be for you and how transformative it can be for you in your life. But if you're somebody who's tried therapy and it just hasn't done the trick, or you just need a little extra boost, I think I've found the next best thing. And the next best thing might just be Cozy Earth and their bamboo sheets and their bamboo pajamas. 
it feels like you are stepping into a buttery, cozy, warm, and cool hug all at the same time. And that's just their pajamas. Don't even get me started on their sheets. As soon as I touched them, I said, okay, we're changing the sheets right now. And the bonus is they come in this really cute travel tote so you can take your sheets with you wherever you go. Elevate your summer getaway with Cozy Earth's luxurious bedding and loungewear, ensuring the comfort of home wherever you roam. We're all in luck because you can discover your next destination for ultimate comfort at Cozy Earth. Visit CozyEarth.com and use our code UNEED at checkout to get 35% off. Yes, 35% off. And let them know that we sent you Unique Therapy after you check out. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. So I'm going to start with this one. You said dieting, which is a common and seemingly benign practice, is disordered eating. Our diet-crazed and body-obsessed culture has become intertwined with the church. It's a dangerous pairing of the secular and the sacred. And the reason that that stuck out to me, it seems like a basic sentence or sentences but for you to say our diet craze and body obsessed culture has become intertwined with the church which is very dangerous I want to hear how you when people are like what do you mean how and why is that dangerous why is that so scary that really makes me think about my first like eye-opening experience in my own practice in my own office I had a couple come sit down with me and I write about this particular encounter in in the book because it was, it was a pivotal moment for me to see the dangerous pairing of the secular and the sacred. And so this couple sits down with me, husband's doing the talking, saying, this is what we're doing with our church. We've been doing this lifestyle plan, diet, whatever you want to call it, fast, whatever. We we can fill in the blank because there's all of them. And she is very clearly suffering with an eating disorder because she has restricted and taken so much out of her. Like we're, we're beyond disordered eating at this moment, which are our typical practices, dieting. We're beyond that. We have 
physical and mental health implications now. So she's so underfed. She's very frail. She's young. I mean, like this, you would not find, you would not want think you would see this type of frailty in someone um, so young. And I had to explain to this couple that I think this diet program that you're doing as a congregation is really, really dangerous for you. It was dangerous for everybody, but at that point, just talking to my client and, you know, I really started digging into like how you have to care for, you have to feed your body enough. We have to give your body enough and to help them see. And they were so, for me, them not knowing at that point that like, I'm a person of faith at all, that I'm just this nutrition professional they came to. They're like, well, who are you to say that what God has decided for us to do? is wrong. Who are you? You know, like, and the thing is what we've done here is we've had people view verses through a um, diet culture lens and not a biblical lens because we all grew up here. Everybody living in this moment in time grew up in diet culture. And so we read the words, we read scripture through that lens and we have to be very, very careful. So what has happened is our interpretation has been skewed by diet culture. Therefore, this whole congregation was on the diet together, which is incredibly dangerous because we know there's like so many different medical diagnoses, lived experiences, levels of income or not in in a congregation. And so that was one of the like first examples where I saw this blending of the secular, which is diet culture with the sacred, which is now wrap it in a Bible verse and say it's truth. And that is so dangerous. You said later, there's another one of the quotes that I wrote down was some churches today even suggest that keeping a trim body and maintaining attractiveness for the husband's benefit is a godly activity, maybe even a calling. Yeah, that I was like, (laughs) and listen, people send me messages. They're like, you will not believe what I heard today. I'm like, well, sadly, I will believe it, but let her up. And, you know, people will share like, I cannot believe it. Or they'll be listen to the sermon online. And yes, we have let the objectification of female bodies get wrapped up in this too. And somebody just reached out to me yesterday or the day before, like, you will not believe the stuff that's going on in this, in this men's group about talking about wives and bodies and the objectification. He, this was a a colleague who's a male who was like, I cannot believe it. But if you have a pastor or an influential ministry leader who says that you can ask it or require it of a partner, that's some dangerous stuff. And we can't, we don't, we are far less in, in control of these bodies as, as than we think we are. Like bodies are right. meant to change. And, and if we, we just uphold our significant others to these really worldly diet culture formed ideals that really break relationships. Mm-hmm. I imagine it's pretty hard as somebody in a church or any, I mean, any religious organization in wanting to do good and wanting to do right. But then that is going against kind of what you're saying. So how have you had clients like the one you were telling about us before? How have they wrestled with that? Like, well, what do you mean? But like our church said that this is good and this is 
and God likes this and God wants this and this brings us closer, but you're telling me that it's not, how can that exist? Gosh, it's so crazy. Um, I've done a lot of this learning and learning in my own life in, in terms of how I grew up in the church too. So like I've done a lot of this work and just so you know, I like, I've been in therapy for 20 years <laughs> and that helped. <laughs> yeah, it helps. It helps. And, you know, I've had people and I hired theologians for the book to like, help me make sure I don't do what I say other people do, which is take things out of context. And so in the church, I really just talk about how like the church is made up of people. And people interpret things the way they're grown up, their own lived experience, you know, plays a role. And if you grew up in a church that was, you know, very much had that language of, you know, a woman has to look a certain way, and then you become a pastor, you're probably not going to challenge those beliefs. And so we do have some open conversations. And I will say when we're talking things like this in my office as a nutrition professional and an eating disorder specialist, we always have a team. There's always a therapist involved too, because there's, it turns out people have come to harm with many of these messages that are in the church. And so at that point, I will say a lot of the people who are sitting here wrestling with these beliefs about their goodness and bodies being objectified have probably stepped away because they were so harmed. So it's a lot easier to talk about when someone already feels like I don't belong there. Something wasn't right. And when we can really separate that, like the church is the church is made of people. God is different. (laughs) you know? And so we talk about that a lot. It's hard because like, I don't want to be like, your pastor was completely wrong, but I'm like, let's think about that. Let's, let's really think about that. Let's think about that passage. And does God make junk? Let's really think about that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I imagine that a lot of times that those conversations can actually, like, I think this is kind of what you're saying, bring people back into a place where their faith, their faith feels good and safe because they can fit into it, which is, brings me to another one of the quotes that I wrote down. You said, won't all the amazingly different bodies created by God be in heaven? Every body type, even the bodies of those who are chronically ill or disabled will be celebrated. Body diversity is divine. And I read that and then I went back and I read it again. And I think I might've read it like three times because I've actually never thought of that. But yeah, God created all these different bodies and you talk about that a lot. And has that been something that was eye-opening for you? Is that, wait a second, we don't all just go to wherever we go and we all look the same all of a sudden. The belief that we can just eat a certain way and move a certain way and we'll all have this like thin whatever body that fits in this size clothing and what, I mean, like that is diet culture. That is like a joke. And, you know, our healthcare system has bought, bought into that too, sadly. But yes, you know, and that really... I will say working with a theologian that I knew before the book and just had really loved like digging in the the word with with her really helped me with this because she was like, when Jesus was resurrected, his scars were there. She was like, we are all created uniquely on purpose. And I'll say something in my practice that really brought this home is I have this this lovely um, client that I've worked with off and on for a long, long time. And he asked me to kind of review the growth charts of his children. But he's like, listen, I grew up in a larger body and 
nobody let me forget it my whole life. And he's like, I don't ever want them to feel the way I felt. And so just knowing that he's like, I'm just a big dude. <laughs> like this is, this is my body. Right. And he really wanted for his kids to know that their bodies were right. They were just as they were supposed to be, even though maybe they were high on the growth chart or whatever. And, and so like I, and I followed this family for years and years, more than a decade. And so how like, this is exactly how you're supposed to be. And to see body diversity one as just natural and having always been in our world. People are short, people are tall, people are, you know, bigger, people are thinner. I have like a size nine foot and nobody's like, girl, you should really, you should really work on that. You know, like we just accept it. And so I think when we accept that, that's really helpful. The other thing to realize is that God didn't create us to be frozen in time. So these bodies look like they've lived a life. And they look different over time. My body does, my 46-year-old body does not look like my 26-year-old body or my 16-year-old body. And it was never supposed to. These amazing bodies generally expand. They usually don't shrink unless we're ill or something's happening or, you know, that it is unusual for that to happen. But these amazing bodies also take medications that we really, really need that might impact how our bodies present in the world. We might have illnesses that also change how we, our bodies present in the world. And we might have disabilities. There, there's so many variables. So body diversity is one, we're created this way. And two, it's okay if we change and it's normal if we change. And that's something else that we're not talking about either is that like, you don't have to like be frozen at this one point in your life, which quite possibly for, I'd say about 75% of American women was, you know, probably uh, created from disorder behaviors. That's what the evidence suggests. There's a survey from self magazine and UNC that suggests about 75% of American women engage in unhealthy weight control practices. And then we're all comparing ourselves to everybody that's doing that. Yeah. Like we're yeah. all doing that and we're all comparing ourselves thinking that everybody else isn't. So we're comparing ourselves to yeah. something disordered. Yeah. And when we can't be compared, because like the only person yeah. I care, I can't even, you can't even compare within families because there's right. also genetic variability. And so, yeah. So when we're comparing like, well, sh that person eats like that. So if I eat like that, then maybe I can like, no, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> you know, it, right. that person's using my fitness pal. I'm like, well, that's yeah. probably di pretty disordered in itself, you know, cause it's, you know, it, my fitness pals, like, let me make sure you get enough to eat. Never. That's not the default. <laughs> well, so. and, and honestly, I don't know what the solution is to this because children and kids and adolescents, I mean, even adults, but there is a lot of error in interpretation of the things that we are taught often. Mm -hmm. Some of it right now I think is error because of what is taught is wrong, but Growing up, I had a sister who was two years older than me. Her body was so different than mine. I was short and I honestly wouldn't say that I was in a larger body, but I have that view because that's what I believed in myself as a kid. But then my sister was very, very thin and, and she was taller. And that drove me crazy 
of why do I look like this, but she looks like that. Like we have mm-hmm. the same parents and it sends that message that like I'm doing something wrong paired with things that were taught in school, like doing yeah. our BMI in the middle of a class and having to share that with people. Mm-hmm. And then I had a teacher that one of our, one of the lessons was like, okay, well, what can we do to move your BMI into a more healthy range? This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Okay. I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun. Such a great entertainer. And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. The Walker Hayes for JCPenney collection is an upbeat playlist of instant classics with laid-back appeal and down-home vibes. As a dad of seven kids, he knows exactly what fathers want and need when it comes to their style. This collection reflects his casually cool styles with outdoor-inspired details and versatile colors. Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. I had a teacher that one of our one of the lessons was like, okay, well, what can we do to move your BMI into a more healthy range? And I remember her telling me to like eat my bagel without butter on it. And I'm like, well, then I don't want it. Like <laughs> <laughs> Who wants a naked bagel? <laughs> but like I never forget that. Like I still yeah. think about that. I when I'm putting butter on a bagel, there were many years I would not eat a bagel, yeah. but I definitely wasn't putting butter on it. And even in those efforts, I still didn't ever look like my sister. I won't ever look like her. And her body has also changed as has mine throughout our lives. And that is something that like the genetic part, I think, gets people a lot of like, well, I must be doing something wrong Mm -hmm. because I'm eating what she does. I play the sports that she plays. I get the same amount, whatever. So what am what's wrong with me? Yeah, that, that, that's funny. One of my friends is a therapist and she was like, we were having this honest conversation. I was doing like an eating disorder awareness thing for, for one of her groups. And she was like, well, I have a question for you. 
but what if like, I just have a preference to wear this size jeans, you know, I was like, can I just be really candid? She's like, yeah, shoot. And I'm like, I don't think your body really cares what your preference is. So, (laughs) I mean, you're going to be what, you know, like you can have a preference, but you, I want you to really think about where that came from. Well, and you can have a preference, but also to get that preference, what are you going to have to do to meet that? And she was going to have to not eat meals with her kids. And I'm like, well, I think that's probably not a great place to be. So we really have to think about like, where do these preferences or or where do some of my desires really come from? And was it planted from that teacher who told you not to have you know, butter who meant well, right. And she's on her own journey in life and probably dieting at the time. My mom was a teacher. I remember all the diets and BMI in schools. I will say there is the strongest level of evidence that we have today, randomized controlled trials telling us that BMIs in schools are futile at best and most likely harmful. And we still do it. BMI is garbage for for adults, which should not be used in healthcare, which we're seeing some chatter about that with American Medical Association. But it is so volatile a measure in children that it should never be used because they're always moving and growing and their height is different and then their weight. And then we're talking about in prepubescent times, that type of conversation in a school, if I could tell you how many kids ended up in my office because of those conversations in schools and ended up with on a very slippery slope into a clinical eating disorder, there's a lot in Mm -hmm. 20 plus years. There's a lot. And that's why I'm like, we think, oh, you're just doing a health lesson. I'm like, wait a minute, we got to talk about this because you're going to, and the language I use in my house is you will learn untruths in, in school, you will learn untruths. And, and so if, if something seems very out of line with how we talk in this house, like all bodies are good bodies, you know, food is food, then let's talk about that. We really try to get ahead of it. And I'm like, if anybody ever wants to weigh or measure you or ask you to log your food, you and I need to talk about that before you move on to an assignment. And I will always back you up to not do that assignment. hundred percent. I don't remember a lot from sixth grade, but I do remember that. And I remember also, I actually don't know if this was after that or if this was before, but I remember thinking that something was wrong with my body and me like going to my mom and and asking her like what I probably asked her to put me on a diet or something but we went to the doctor luckily I had an angel saint of a doctor who recently retired and it is very sad (laughs) I had her for my whole life but I have a like this pretty vivid memory of going to her office and my mom was there too and and her sitting me down and showing me I don't know what she showed me she could have showed me a Things she made up herself and it meant nothing, but it didn't matter. <laughs> but she, uh, the point is what she did is she sat me down and she showed me that like, and told me you're, there's nothing wrong with you. Like you might look different than somebody, but there actually is nothing wrong with you. I think I was afraid I was going to have like diabetes or something because of kind of like the things. I think we also watched, what's that McDonald's oh, documentary? Supersize me. me. We watched that in that class. So I'm thinking that like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have, I'm going to get diabetes at at 13 and blah, blah, blah. And I just remember, thank God that was my doctor though, because another doctor could have been like, well, okay, then let's do this. Let's set you up at this. Let's send you to a dietitian who can put you on a a meal plan. But she was like, look at the science. She was showing me the science. I did not understand it. 
there's nothing wrong with you. Yeah. And I yeah. thought that was so important. It's so important. And listen, I will say you did get that referral to a dietitian. I w- I've been on the receiving end of those referrals for a very, very long time. And I can tell you, and I supervise dietitians who do this work too. And I'm like, listen, reassurance is your greatest tool use it because you might be the only healthcare professional that's going to say you are just as you should be. Keep doing what you're doing. I'm so glad you got that experience, especially after watching a documentary in health class. That's another dumpster fire. And that's the thing, like teachers shouldn't be required to to teach a lot of the things that they are now required to teach. Both my mom and dad were teachers and like, they didn't, my mom was like, I am so glad I didn't have to like teach stuff like that because knowing what I know now and knowing that she was quite the dieter in those days, she was like, I could have really done some damage that I, somebody's going to remember me for that, you know? And she's like, I am just so lucky that I don't have to like, hit these checkbox on the, this core curriculum where diet culture is, is woven right in. Mm-hmm. I want to read, cause you mentioned this, this actually blew my mind. I knew a lot about why BMI is trash for lack of a better <laughs> word, but this just really blew my mind. I'm going to read two quotes and they are in the same, I'm pretty sure they're in the same chapter, but they weren't next to each other. The first one you said, the medical community didn't even use the scientific method or medical guidelines in the decision to adopt the BMI as a health indicator. They merely followed the lead of a prominent insurance company that began using BMI to determine rate premiums. That was wild to me. Then You went on to say, this is part of a bigger story, but you wrote, we built an entire war on bodies based on a vote, a vote on making body size a disease based not on evidence, but on the bias rampant in diet culture. Dr. Maggie Lands, a Texas-based physician who educates other professionals about the harm of weight stigma and the practice of medicine, says it best. If that's not the most flagrant example of weight stigma derailing the entire practice of medicine, I'm not sure what is. The AMA asked for evidence and they f- they flatly rejected it in favor of upholding what is proven to be a discriminatory and unethical model of clinical practice. So people might not understand what I'm saying. Will you explain what that is talking about? Because this part, I literally closed the book and walked into somebody's office and I was like, I have to tell you about this. I love this part because pre-understanding diet culture, me as a dietitian was part of using these terms. And when, uh, and I'm using air quotes here, because I think the terms overweight and obesity are stigmatizing and they're not (laughs) evidence-based and we don't know that. And when I learned it, like, I was like, wait a minute, what? And, And we have built an entire war on bodies, which is awful on this. It was on a vote. So what happened in 2012, 2013, the American Medical Association asked their committee that does the deep dives into the literature to find the evidence to support what they're trying to do. They're like, find the evidence that body size or fatness is a disease. They come back, not enough evidence. We we do not recommend that we call, I'm using air quotes, obesity, a disease. 
Okay. Mind you, this is all based on BMI, which was never meant for individuals ever, 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 and not even done from healthcare. He was a mathematician. So they were like, huh, no, not enough evidence. Well, that's okay. We'll just vote. We'll just vote. And that's how it became a disease. And we use BMI to diagnose it, which is not a diagnostic tool. It is like uh, the rabbit hole of dumpster fires. (laughs) Okay. Let's say you take my BMI. I'm on the BMI scale. It says I'm obese. Then I can be diagnosed with a disease that is obesity. Yes. And then I can also, well, whether you have the BMI or not, push all kinds of drugs and interventions on you as well, and then charge you for it, whether you wanted it or not. I have no words because one, the implication of the stigma of it, just like the words obesity and, and overweight and all that. My body functions pretty well. I wouldn't go to, I mean, I would go to physicals and if something's wrong, I go get that checked out. Right now, I don't need to go to get a physical, but let's say my physical comes along and I go and that's what I check in on at the BMI scale. They can then say, there is something wrong with you. Here are some medications. You need to take these. 100%. Yes. And if I didn't know any better, I would take them. You'd be like, oh, well, my doctor said, or my nurse practitioner. Listen, I had a nurse practitioner. This kills me. Sit down with one of my clients who has a history of an eating disorder. Sit down beside her and go like, hey, look at this. Look at what I saw on TikTok. And then goes to like try to get her to go on weight loss medication. I mean, so many ethical violations here, not to mention just really lazy, poor medical practice. So, so this is where I'm like my, I I love internal family systems. And so, and I do a lot of supervision around that. And this is where like my advocate is coming up and is super mad (laughs) to take care of my client. But yeah, it's like, if we knew like, you don't even have to do that, that way to check. I have a new doctor's appointment tomorrow. I'm meeting a new doctor. And and I already in my mind know that I'm going to be like, um, no, no, thank you. And the the gatekeeper, which are the, the person that gets you from the waiting room to the, to the office, you know, might say, well, you have to do it. I'm like, actually, I don't. You can write refused in that box and that should be okay. You know, so you don't. And I like, I give people kind of like, here's the dialogue and this is really hard, but also I live in a body that people probably aren't going to then dismiss me for that. Right. So that's like, I have a level of body privilege where I can do that. And if I do that, I might make it safer for someone who doesn't feel safe to do that. But if we knew like one, the BMI was never meant to be used. And if we're like, well, it's just what we have. I'm like, no, it's not what we have because it was never meant to be used how we use it. It's garbage and it harms people. And also the evidence suggests it misclassifies 74 to 75 million Americans every single year as either healthy or unhealthy. And really they're not. And you can live and that takes us to, um, here's my air quotes, because I do not like the stigmatizing terms, obesity and overweight, but the obesity paradox where people are like, I just can't believe that somebody in a larger body can have all these normal lab values. <laughs> you know, it is, and it's called the paradox because we don't believe it. That is weight stigma and bias in action harming people. Like I, my BMI is not in the normal range and I am normal, whatever that means. And, you know, my labs are great. 
I am lucky enough to have like an able body and I can hike and I can move and I can do a lot of things. So I eliminate that from our conversation so I can get true health care because right. many healthcare providers have been trained to offer weight care first. Right. Well, because let's say you are in the normal range or actually, no, let's say this. Let's say you're not in the normal range and then whatever you have going on go straight to your weight, but your weight is not the problem. But then that just keeps totally, that's what we're focusing on. And then you need to do these things and, and, and take this medication or eat this food or do that. And it actually causes you more harm. And the actual problem doesn't get helped. Yeah. And people get misdiagnosed. And I like, I have a couple stories about this. Like I have a client who got misdiagnosed and ignored for years, like lose weight, lose weight, lose weight, lose weight. She had an iron deficiency. It could have been fixed so easily if someone would have just given her health care instead of weight care. And that is, that's malpractice in my opinion. And like, I know I'm putting some big words out there, but like in some, some heavy stuff, but we have to realize what's happening in these safe places because we're all being harmed because of it. Mm -hmm. And I think what you said too, stuck with me about you refusing to to be weighed at the doctor's office also helps other people who don't feel safe enough to do that, to do that. Yeah. And there will be pushback. I've had a doctor say some thing that they shouldn't want well, a doctor, the gatekeeper thinks yeah. she was a nurse, say something. She, if she would have said that to somebody in an active eating disorder, Oh my God, she yeah. would not have known what she would was doing. Luckily I was able to go process that with somebody immediately, but that is something that I think also I need to be able to go back and give her that information of like, this was harmful and this is why, yeah. because she probably has no idea what she's saying. The very same, very same thing happened to me from a nurse practitioner who like argued over my weight. I was there for a weight slip. I'm like, I'm pretty sure my veins poking my vein doesn't require a weight check. And just so you know, the only thing that requires a weight check, there are a few diagnoses that they monitor fluid shifts and you will know if you have one, it might be congestive heart failure, pregnancy. It can be done blind. So you don't have to, if the numbers bother you and then anesthesia, please, Lord, don't guess, you know, like get the number then. And it can still be done blind, but about 90% of adult medical visits do not require a weight check for care. That's probably a mind blowing fact for a lot of people. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. 
Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Okay. I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun. Such a great entertainer. And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. The Walker Hayes for JCPenney collection is an upbeat playlist of instant classics with laid-back appeal and down-home vibes. As a dad of seven kids, he knows exactly what fathers want and need when it comes to their style. This collection reflects his casually cool styles with outdoor-inspired details and versatile colors. Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Okay, I want to end with this. And it's right on online with kind of what we're talking about. But you say, weight is not a behavior. This is a statement I make often in my office. We've been led to believe it's possible to control our weight, but many factors influence our weight. While we can put a stop to certain behaviors, for example, smoking and excessive alcohol consumption, we can't change our body size and expect it to stay that way. That's an important part. Our divinely created bodies want to be what they were designed to be regardless of cultural expectations. Explain weight is not a behavior because I bet a lot of people are like, huh? It's a number on a scale that changes all the time. It's a, it's, it's a gravity measure. And that like, we cannot control that. We can diet and change it temporarily. 95% right. of that comes back usually plus more um, at the three to five year mark, but which is also not something that we are told in healthcare when somebody says you should diet like, oh, you're going to be worse off in three to five years. We don't say that, but weight is not a behavior. A behavior is like, Hey, are you getting good sleep? If not, let's get in, let's get in bed earlier. That's a behavior, like something you're actually doing weight. You're not doing weight is just a measure of the mass of your body, which is fluid. It's always changing. If it's not, then we're really doing some pretty crazy micromanaging that could probably was likely disordered. And so the other thing, like another behavior, like dieting is a behavior, okay? That like eliminating breakfast, like skipping meals, those are disordered, but behaviors, you know, like cholesterol. Cholesterol is not a behavior. It is a number that gets measured and the behaviors may or may not change that. So weight is not a behavior. And I am in the business of behavior change that I've learned in my unlearning and relearning that aligns with a person's values and lived experience. It is not what I want for them. It is what they want for them. And I want to yeah. keep them out of harm's way. So if they're coming to see me, they know I'm weight neutral. <laughs> so um, that we're not going to chase a number on the scale. The other thing is if we realize, okay, weight's not a behavior. So all this time I've been chasing something that's not that chaseable. 
And it does not bring me closer to health if that's what I want to be closer to. But something that might be closer, get me closer to health are those behaviors, which be like, okay, well, if let's talk about things that actually re- reduce mortality risk, connection, number one, more than smoking, more than the trash BMI, <laughs> more mm-hmm. than mo- connection. So do I have good relationships? Am I seeking therapy if I need it to help me make better relationships or hold on to the relationships that are important to me? So human connection, moving your body in joyful ways, if that's accessible to you or moving your body, because it brings you connection. You might hate walking, but you like spending time with your friends. So you go with them, you know, getting good sleep, um, lowering your screen time, decreasing your, your social media usage. If that's something that, you know, harms your health, those are all things that are health behaviors instead of like this number that is not a behavior and you can improve your health, your, well, your mental and physical health without ever, ever, ever stepping on the scale. And that's, that's what I want people to hear when they're talking to a health provider is like, I don't care what your weight is. I care how you are caring for yourself. And what I was thinking as you were saying that is the really hard thing to wrap your head around, and this is hard for me too, because I was so immersed in it, is that we have to be aware of the the lenses that we are seeing everything through. And even though I know that I don't want to be living in diet culture and I want to think certain things, I still see the world through a lens that I have been brought up in that says thin is good, larger bodies are bad. And that, I think going back to the church and all of that, if we're taught that looking this way is pleasing to God and doing this is not pleasing to God and and fasting is pleasing to God and cutting all of that kind of stuff, we have to be aware when we are wrestling with this kind of stuff that oh yeah I keep telling myself the lie that like thin is good but I have to remember that thin is a it's a neutral statement therefore if I actually look at my health I can now remove that from it yeah that is something that is and I don't even know if I'm explaining it right way but it's so hard to wrap our heads around how I can just focus on these behaviors that are either good for me or maybe not so great for me versus how my the look of my body responds to behaviors that is so hard for people because they're like well well, I did the things that you said and I still my body still looks like this I'm like well why does that matter well because I'm not supposed to look like this says who says so and so says this guy on the tv says whatever (laughs) like says my boyfriend from sixth grade it's like okay well do you believe that yes or no why I think a lot of times when we rest when we get down to the bottom of that it's hard to answer that why it's like well I don't know well, because all the, because that sixth grade teacher that told you, no so much evidence, it, yeah. you know, like, because you learned it in the safe places, probably from before you could even speak. Yeah. So we have learned little seeds have been planted our entire lives. And one of my, I'll have clients that are like, why is this taking so long? I'm like, well, you've lived in diet culture for 40 years. It's going to take a minute for us to do some, do some work, you know? And I was kind of, I write down 
notes when we're talking and there's just so much there. You're right. Like that part of you was like, but what about, but what about, right? Of course, of course we say, but what about, because we've learned these things as if they're truth without questioning right. our, our entire uh, our entire lives because we trusted our healthcare providers. We trust our pastor. We trust our Sunday school teacher. We trust our teachers. We trust our parents, our aunts, whoever our coaches. And that is wonderful. And sometimes things are said that cause harm. So a couple things like you say, you know, you have to think about that. I do too. We live here. We all live here. We could be aware of diet culture, but we still live here. It doesn't mean that we're going to like every day be like, Hey girl, you're so fine. You know, like (laughs) that'd be great if we, but sometimes it's like, you have to be like, wow, that really got me. That really hurt. I'm really triggered to like, engage in behaviors that I know don't align with my value of just being who I am, being who God, celebrating my own divine design. And it doesn't mean that you're not going to struggle. It means that you know that you don't have to take that back up. Yeah. And the other thing is like, we talk a lot about health, but I want to also put out there that like health is defined individually and health as this world defines it is not, is not offered to everyone. And that does not mean that someone is unworthy. It does not mean that someone's more worthy, but like, we have to be careful with like the word health because policy doesn't get to define it for us. Health for some of my clients might mean therapy other week, medication to help with that, it might mean seeing less of certain people. It might be forcing ourselves to see more of other people to get the connection when we want to isolate. It might mean going making doctor's appointments that you really dislike, but you really need to go. Like health is defined at the individual level. And if if something sounds like, gosh, I should be doing that, we compare that too. Just remember that you get to decide. And you also don't owe anybody health. Like we also think that we always have to be chasing something. I had one client who's he's great. He's an older guy. He's doing great. His labs are fine. I mean, he's, he's lived a long time and he's like, well, my doctor said I should maybe focus on eating less of this color foods, which first of all, there's no evidence of that. At all. If you get, a, if you get a recommendation like that, be like, uh, that's crazy, crazy talk, not science. But I was like, you know what, what if it's, okay for you to just be okay. You don't always have to be chasing something. You oh yeah. Just be okay. And he was like, I never thought of that. I'm like, of course you didn't. Cause we're always being told, Oh, here's the next thing or the yeah. next best thing, but it's okay to just be. That's a constant battle. I actually did an episode about that recently where like, where's the line between accepting who you are and striving to be your best self. Like yeah. sometimes you just have to say like, I'm good. I probably could go there, but I actually like it here just fine. But yeah, you're right. We don't get offered. Nobody says that. Your doctors doesn't ever say that. They're like, you could be better. Yeah. We're like, you're doing <sighs> great. And that's that tool, that reassurance tool of like, you know what? If you want to eat more vegetables, that's great. Yeah. If you feel like you're doing okay, you don't always have to be chasing something. And that's great. Mm-hmm. Go yeah. have coffee with a friend. And yeah get some connection this week. (laughs) That's what I would love for people to say, or I would love for um, healthcare um, providers to say, Hey, do you have enough money for food? Do you have food security? 
Do you mm-hmm. live in a safe environment? Like those are questions that I'd really like us to be asking, not like what diet are you going to choose to make yeah. your BMI go lower? <laughs> you so. talked about that. The I, Everything you said was great, but like you talked about how the nervous system affects our bodies and how safety impacts our bodies and how how they work and how nobody's asking those questions. Nobody's asking. And then we're confused why their diet didn't change the yeah. problem that they're having. Yeah, because we've been programmed to think that food will fix everything. Yes. And, and like food is a very small variable in a very, very multifaceted yeah. system of well-being. Yeah. Well, thank you. I so appreciate, one, you writing this book, but also this conversation and obviously the work that you're doing with your clients too. It's wild to think you live in this world, but it's it's wild and I it happens all the time because I get, I'm sure you get clients that come from other dietitians. I get uh, clients that come from other therapists and I'm like, somebody said that to you? And I'm like, yes. oh, okay. Yes. I gotta remember, like I kind of sometimes think I live in a bubble of this like fighting the diet culture, but that's actually very small percentage of people. It is. And and I do that too. Like I'm always, and this is the introduction of the book where I'm like, hand on my heart. Like, I am so mm-hmm. sorry that harm came to you in what should have been a safe place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for this. Where can people find you and then also find this book? You can find me. Um, my website is leslieshilling.com. I'm usually on Insta. If I'm on the socials, it's uh, um, also, it's just Leslie Schilling and the book is everywhere books are sold, feed yourself. And if you get it on audible or an audio version, um, I read it. So if you're like, Oh, I like her voice. (laughs) Great. If you're like, I don't like her voice. She's too Southern for me. Then get the book. (laughs) Oh, I love that you read it. Did you enjoy doing that? I did. You know, it was, it was a lot of fun. And there were times where I'm right. like reading what I wrote, like I was like, wow, sometimes you can write things super like poignant but when you say it, like imagine saying it to a client and tearing up and, yeah. or I've never been so proud of anything in my life other than my kid. And, oh. that, you know, that like some people are like, oh, I can't read it or I won't, you know, read a book after. But I'm like, I felt like, gosh, what if this is my only shot, mm-hmm. you know? So I put everything, everything I could to help free people in it. Well, I appreciate it. It'll be on my shelf and my office for sure. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.
I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. 